Hey, it's Arc Party, and I'm Rob. You might notice that this episode is starting out a little bit differently than the uh, the previous few episodes. Uh, in those episodes, I would have the author uh, first explain to you what their book is about in their own words, and then that would lead us into my discussion with the author. This time, uh, the episode's structured a little bit differently, and there's a good reason for that. This is the first, and hopefully not last, uh, time I'm doing a crossover episode with another podcast. So this episode... I am co-hosting with Michael David Wilson, the uh, the host and creator of This Is Horror. This Is Horror has been around for like a decade, and um, they're coming up on their 10th anniversary, 500 episodes. It's a big year for them. Michael was planning on doing an episode with Max Booth about his book, Abnormal Statistics, and I was planning on doing an episode with Max Booth about his book, Abnormal Statistics, and we said, hey, we love working together. Let's do a crossover episode. So this is going to be formatted a little bit differently. It's going to seem a little bit outside of the the way that usually I run things when I'm I'm totally in charge. So here's what to expect. First of all, uh, you might notice that Michael uh, takes the reins a little bit more than uh, um, I, I have other people do when when they're on the podcast, and that's totally expected. Michael is the main host of his podcast, and he's accustomed to doing things, you know, the Michael David Wilson way. And he had, he, I'm going to just be very honest. The guy is way more prepared. He's way more polished. He puts a lot more effort into doing these things than I do. I'm a little more off the cuff. So, uh, it absolutely made sense for me to let him, um, do the work the way that he does best. And, and I love to sit back and just listen to a good conversation and throw in my two cents when it makes sense. So, Format's a little bit different. Another thing to point out is that this is the first of two parts uh, to the conversation. We originally planned to do one long conversation with Max and uh, put that out as as one big long thing. Uh, there were some technical issues and some timing issues that made it so that we needed to split it up into two separately recorded conversations. So what you're about to get is the first half of a big long conversation about abnormal statistics by Max Booth III. Uh, we tackle some of the individual stories of the book. We also talk to Max about other stuff like, uh, the fact that he also does a podcast, the fact that he's opening a bookstore, uh, and, and kind of our history together in general. Uh, I will also point out toward the end, there is a about 17 or so minutes. That's kind of an outtake of us just kind of going off the rails and talking about stuff that didn't quite fit the, uh, the, the flow of, of the main conversation. So it got cut from a certain point uh, and it'll get dropped at the end. So you'll hear me do my quick outro. And then after that, if you stick around, you're going to get some zaniness between the three of us that might not make total sense, but uh, it could be entertaining and, and probably is more offensive than, than what, you know, we uh, originally planned the episode to be like. So, like I said, this is the first part of the conversation. The second part is going to be recorded and released probably in the next uh, couple of weeks. Um, I hope you enjoy it and um, stay tuned after my outro to check out some zany out outtakes. If that's the kind of thing that you're into. Welcome to this is horror arc party edition. We are going to be talking to Max Booth and today I've got my co-host, Rob Olson, formerly of Booked Podcast, now of Arc Party. Rob, tell us a little bit about yourself and the Arc Party concept. 
Sure. Um, so I have been doing podcasts uh, since April of 2011. Primarily, I was doing book reviews and author interviews. And <laughs> um, that was with Booked. Booked ended uh, in the in our 10th year, on our 10th anniversary, we ended that podcast. And now the new podcast I'm doing is called The Arc Party. And essentially the idea of this is instead of a review podcast, it is um, pre-publication promotion with authors. So you have a book that's coming out. It's not out yet. I talk to you and um, we talk about the book and and just kind of get people aware of stuff before it's out so they can pre-order and engage with their libraries and stuff like that. Yeah, and so today we are going to be chatting with Max Booth. He will be releasing in a matter of days Abnormal Statistics, a short story collection from Apocalypse Party Press. And so, I mean, normally with Arc Party, you put these out quite a bit ahead of the release. I mean, you recently spoke to Cassandra Kaur, and their new book isn't coming out until May. But with right. Max, this is going to go live. And then the next day, boom, <laughs> you can buy Abnormal Statistics. Now, it may be because I took quite a long time to actually have a date that was ready for us to record this. It may not be. That could be one of the reasons. But anyway, Max is here now. Max, how are you doing? I just want to say, I've been ready to do this for a while, and Rob has as well, so <laughs> I don't know. He's, he's <laughs> hanging you great. out. He's hanging you out. So you got abnormal statistics coming out in a, a few, few days. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, how did this one come about? How did you first land the collection with Apocalypse Party Press. Yeah, so I became I, knew, I became a real Apocalypse a few a few years ago when Ben who who runs Apocalypse he emailed me to just tell me basically that he was a fan of Perpetual Motion Machine my press and how it had kind of inspired him to begin his own press because at the time I was also looking at a shitty nine to five job while also trying to do this press. He also has a, t a similar type of job and he found it kind of motivational. And I thought that was a cool thing to read from someone. So they were always in the back of my mind and it helped that apocalypse releases really cool books like Negative Space by B.L. Yeagle and Bonding mm. by Maggie Seabilt. Most of the books I've read by Apocalypse are super cool, and they have a pretty just nice vibe to them that I enjoy. So I forget what led to me submitting a collection to them, but I knew I wanted to get one out, and I didn't want to self-publish it like I've done a lot of my books recently because I just don't have as much time, it seems. Um, so I was thinking of presses I thought might be interested, so I hit up Apocalypse to see if they might be interested, and I have a collection. And I think I mentioned the possibility of just doing a novella as well. Ben seemed interested in either of those, so I 
went through and I compiled a collection and I sent it over. It was pretty long. Also, it had a shitty title that I can't even remember now. It was a bad title. If I sent him the collection and he accepted it, and then as we were going through edits, we kind of discovered many of them had a theme of dysfunctional families. So once we realized this, it's something I didn't even think about until he pointed it out. But once this was something we both knew was in the collection, it made it really easy to go through and trim the collection quite a bit to cut away the stories that did not fit the theme. So I think the original collection was like 80,000 builds long and we cut it down to, I think like Mm 51,000 and later on, I finished the novella in the Anna Death Song, and originally I was just going to release it as a standalone. But I kind of had this epiphany that it was perfect for this collection because it was almost like like a summary of every other story vibe-wise, and it just felt like it had a good home in that collection. So I hit up Ben, I sent him the uh, novella, and I said, what do you think about including this in the collection? He liked it. He loved it. We put it in the collection and it shot up to like 78,000 rules, which is good because maybe 51,000 was not quite long enough in retrospect. So I'm pretty happy with the length it is now. And I'm glad we uh, ended up cutting so much, which allowed room to add this novella. Yeah. And I mean, in terms of the collection, I feel that it's a very fair reflection of the kind of breadth of your writing style and story aesthetics because I mean Indiana Death Sung has to be up there with the absolute bleakest things that you've ever written um I mean there's still there is still some humor in it but you know I think the the darkness definitely overshadows that although I'd, I'd say having read the the script as well which are we allowed to talk about <laughs> I, I mean you wrote a script for it can we say that yeah i've written i've written a script adaptation but uh it's not with anyone so um, i just wrote mm. it um on spec and hopefully we will sell it to someone in the future yeah so the the, the script for me <clears throat> it seemed to have more comedic elements than you know the novella the novella definitely was tonally darker i would say um but then i mean in contrast to indiana death song you have stories like fish which is pretty much just like comedic (laughs) throughout and i mean it, it seems to be with your fiction you know you typically have these two modes where you've got like uh we need to do something is you know, in that darker mode, but then you've got something like carnivorous lunar activities, which is much more comedic. So, I mean, was that something you were conscious of when you and Ben were putting the collection together that you wanted to be able to showcase these two sides of your writing? I don't think it was something we discussed or I thought much about. 
with this collection because most of my shield fiction tends to be on the bleak little side and most of it i don't think has a lot of comedy like i would say yeah there's some bits and pieces throughout that have comedic moments but i would say my my uh my novels my my big books they tend to have a lot more comedy in them because i at least with me most of my comedy tends to happen when I have a long amount of time to develop characters and you get to understand like how they behave. And then you get the, you get to add these jokes through the dialogue and behaviors. Mm. But with uh, short fiction, you don't really have that time to uh, develop that way. And plus with this collection, I think I just wanted it to be like, this is a whole collection. So yeah. that made it pretty easy to not include some of my comedic short stories. Because I do have some. Usually anytime I've written a, uh, a comedic short story or flash fiction, it was filled like a public reading I was doing. Because... Mm-hmm. I think when you do a like a, a reading, it should be comedic. So I've written a lot of stuff like that, specifically with the intention of reading it out loud. But none of that's in the collection. And I can see how fish can be pretty funny. I don't think I intended it to be that way, but <laughs> I can also see how it just is funny. Like, if that was made into a movie, I'm pretty sure it would be... Uh, not that serious because yeah. it's about a kid just fucking a woman who's menstruating endlessly. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely absurd. And I think yeah. the absurdism leads to humor, yeah. 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 I particularly love your story note for fish because mo- most of the story notes you've got some <laughs> kind of long-winded, uh, not long-winded, long kind of answer as to how you came about this and I'm I'm just gonna find the exact wording, even though I pr- I pretty much know the sentence. But with fish, the story notes go: I lost my virginity to an older woman on her period. Sometimes it's as simple as that, folks. <laughs> so. I mean, I think that's a pretty good lesson for Australia telling any experiment inspiring aspiring right old south Phil. um you know maybe they listen to this podcast for uh, advice on how to write and um, that's something i would uh, tell them you know the the most innocent uh experience could lead to a great story such as losing your virginity to an old woman that will feel it you could write a story about monster lady who uh <laughs> corrupts a child into killing families <laughs> yeah why not yeah. I'll say a good and it's not good <laughs> it's a very specific <laughs> right I, mean, I, th- I, 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 I think the anecdote which was uh in on writing by stephen king too yeah <laughs> I mean, Here's, are, he... so about that though like yeah <laughs> one not about that but about um I, from my perspective of reading this, uh, and and we'll get into this probably deeper when we start talking about some of the stories. But um, when I read some of this, I definitely picked up on the autobiographical nature of it. And so, like, and and obviously, you said that this was inspired by 
you know, a real experience. And then my mind automatically starts asking, like, did the woman he lost his virginity to convince him to start murdering people? Or like, was that the line? You know what I'm saying? So like with this collection, I guess what I'm saying is there's a lot of stuff that seems like it's informed from you and it's obvious kind of usually where the barrier is, but sometimes it's like, uh, I don't know. I think pretty much anything I've written has that element to it of being recycled from my own life and then kind of Frankensteined into something else. Like with fish specifically, yes, I did end up killing a few kids, but (laughs) the names were different. So that's kind of like, you know, I'm able to be creative with it. You just got to change the names. I mean, I don't have to, but like the names in real life just didn't seem that fun to read. So you want to change it so the readers like ah this is this is entertaining. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think with fish as with I mean all of your stories like that the pacing is great. You always have such a kind of sense of you know getting that story progressing from beat to beat. It is all very kind of lean, I guess. So. What good old Richard Thomas would refer to as trimming the fat, and I mean, I, I think as well there's a there's a definite sense of escalation because whilst it starts off as pretty comedic in my opinion, then like you know when the horror kicks in in that kind of final act, oh, it really <laughs> ramps up very quickly indeed. Oh, thank you. I am. I'm glad you you picked up on that, Michael. <laughs> I don't know what to say, but I mean, thank you. I pacing, I think, is something that's pretty essential, and I think it can be difficult to get right. But I don't know. Maybe just one way to do that is to have a lot of a lot of manic energy. So when you write this story, it kind of matches that at some point. Um, Something I just remembered about fish, and I think it's kind of funny, is there's a section of that story that describes someone's face caving in like a rotting pumpkin. And I just remembered for a long time when I was a teenager, I would use that same description a lot, specifically Mm -hmm. a rotting pumpkin collapsing to describe a face getting just crushed. I don't know what was going on with that. I I think I just, like, I guess when you feel beginning writing and you come up with something like by your yourself that isn't just Mm. stolen from someone else you kind of cling to that you use it as much as possible but i recall like using that description quite a bit yeah yeah i uh i it also just hit me now as an afterthought that i do have a rotting pumpkin on my front pilch right now I uh, it's from last Halloween. I, I forgot to do anything with it, and like last week, it was still fine. And then, like within a couple of days, it just fucking flattened to this black kilkis. And I don't know what to do with it now. Yeah, I was on the I, phone to you when you discovered that, and then <laughs> subsequently <laughs> saw the photo of the pumpkin aftermath. 
Yeah. Can put that in the show notes. Dogs for keep trying to interested. eat it. You I wish I was on a laptop. It. I could just walk outside and show you, but I'm on a desktop. So I think if I unplugged it, I would lose video access. Yeah, that would we'll take you at your <laughs> yeah, word. You I think. Would. Yeah. So, we, we like can... for those watching, ima- imagine this is a pumpkin. <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With this collection, obviously, there was quite a bit of discussion then in terms of what to and what not to include, given that you submitted what over a hundred thousand words or so initially. So, I mean, what did that process look like, and were there any stories that Ben particularly wanted you not to include that you were adamant, like, no, this absolutely goes in, or vice versa? No, it was the opposite. I think after we did it, I came up with a list. I think he also maybe came up with a list of ones he thought could be removed. Mm. And I'm 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 not really um precious about my writing usually, so I mean if someone's well not just anyone, but him specifically, I trusted him. I think he has good mm-hmm. taste and he was publishing it. So anything he suggested, I was pretty quick to remove. And mm. um, some of mine, he was like, well, maybe we should keep this one. And I was like, oh, nah, let's just fucking cut it. <laughs> yeah. There was one that the last one we cut, it's called um, Flowers Blooming in the Season of Atrophy. And it was my really first propane publication. It was in uh, Michael Bailey's uh, Chiral Mad 2 anthology. Mm. Um, I ended up cutting it. He thought maybe it should stay, but I decided to cut it because the, uh, well, not because of the plot. The plot is basically, it's about a school shooting that happens. But it was a little too positive, I think, <laughs> which sounds funny. But it, the the way it's written, it's written like a little bit too, I don't know, Disney and spiraling. It's about a school shooting that's prevented. But the way mm. it's written, it just didn't seem to fit the same vibe. And I don't think I would have written it that way now. And I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm still, I look back fondly on it because of the... The uh, it being my really feels pro publication, but beyond that, I don't know. Going back and reading it again for the collection, it just didn't sit right. And the only other story that really comes to mind that we did leave, but I was really on the fence about for the longest mm. time, was a zombie story called uh, uh, "In the Attic of the Universe." What the fuck is that story yeah. called? Hold on. Yeah, yeah, that's the title in the okay. attic of the universe. So that's a super old story that I was afraid just wasn't written well. Um, I wrote it, I think, when I was a teenager. I can't remember now. Um, so I was afraid it was just wasn't the same quality. But Ben seemed to like it. And I, I liked the idea of having something from way back then in the collection for people reading to kind of like compile how hopefully my I have improved as a writer throughout the last decade or so. And yeah, I mean, I, I think that's okay. Like I love Stephen King collections, especially the, the feels like three or four collections of his. 
And something that would be, always be cool is like seeing like the decades each one was originally published in. It would I always found it kind of neat to trace like the history of Stephen King's stories. If yeah. I could say one thing about that particular zombie story, uh, I would say that, and this is just me reflecting on because I read the book about maybe a month ago. Um, it seems like that story has a lot of heart. Like it's got a lot more, um, uh, I don't know, like positive kind of vibes to like relationships, like, in you know, interactions between people, even though it's like a terrible situation. Um, and, and while you were describing it, I was thinking to myself, there's got to be some kind of like hope somewhere in this book because a lot of it gets pretty bleak. So um, that's that's kind of like my first thought that I, that came to mind when you when you were talking about it was there does seem to be a little bit more of like a positivity to that story than maybe a lot of the other ones. Yeah, I mean, I guess I hadn't grown yet as a rattle to the schedule that <laughs> full is no hope. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I was thinking as Rob was saying. It's like, you know, you wrote that one when you were younger, so you were you were less jaded or one might say less aware yeah. of the world. So there was a little bit more optimism. And then as you got older, it's like, no, no. <laughs> it's pretty, I mean, looking back, I'm pretty fond of the premise it has. For those listening, the premise of this really is zombie apocalypse. It's a, a man living in this attic with his child. It's a baby. And, oh, shit, I forgot the premise. Uh, isn't he bitten? <laughs> yeah, he's bitten. He's yeah, been bitten, yeah. so he knows sooner or later he's going he's gonna to become fucking zombified. And this baby is going to be left alone. So he has the uh, dilemma, like, what do I do? Do I just let this baby go and see what happens, or do I shoot my baby and then uh, shoot myself? I mean, that's something I tend to um, approach a lot with many of these stories. Is coming up with this really fucked up dilemma or situation they've someone's found themselves in and exploring how they react. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think I probably found this more traumatic than I would have if I'd have read it before becoming a father, because I'm really trying to put myself in this situation and decide, well, what what the hell would I do? Because, I yeah. mean, yeah, you, you've effectively got the ultimatum. Well, do, do I take care of uh, <laughs> this issue, you know, and uh, yeah. the, the, the baby... <laughs> Be, be no more yeah. or do do i kind of exit and and hope or don't know that it's pretty unlikely that something good that, that you know will happen but yeah yeah it's uh, i'll tell you what just ended my brain as you were talking you said ultimatum and <laughs> it occurred to me that you know how some people say tomato 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 what right. if you did like ultimatum ultimatum <laughs> I mean, that, that's that's why i began laughing as you were talking because suddenly i couldn't stop thinking about that i, I apologize but um this is the uh alc penalty baby this is what happens <laughs> when you get a little too uh loose with the coffee yeah yeah well 
I mean, th- thank you for sharing <laughs> that thought with us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know who else I could have told, so. <laughs> No one's no, no one's going to think of ultimatum the same way ever again. Yeah, or ultimatum, ultimatum, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. I mean, Rob, if you were in this situation <clears throat> with your your hypothetical child, I mean, what what do you think you would do? Uh, all right, so I'm going to tell you a quick story. So I uh, I don't have my own children, but I've um, the person I've been dating for the last two and a half years has uh, kids that are eight and thirteen, mm-hmm. and uh, so I've known these kids for a couple of years now, and I really care about them. And the the older one recently was like tr- chasing the cat or something like that, and then turned quickly and like hit their head on the door frame, and it was very frightening in the moment. Obviously they ended up being fine, but we had to take them to the emergency room and everything. And, um, that I'd never felt like such horror and such like a feeling of just, I don't want this person to feel this way that, you know, two, two years ago, if you asked me that question, I think my response would have been, um, way different than now, because like you never want to see your kid suffer. And so it is like this kind of impossible situation where it's like, I am I, is it weak to not do the thing to prevent future suffering or is it weak to do the thing to like, there's, there's no answer. So I I think that two years ago I would have been like, oh, it's easy. Just, you know, do the right thing and, and prevent the kid from suffering in the future. But now I don't know if I, I don't know if I would be able to, to do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Michael? What would you do? I, I think that in general, despite whenever I encounter really difficult situations, and I've you know I've had a few in the last few years, I'm a relentless optimist. So I just don't think you know I could kill the kid because there's gonna be that bit of hope that something good might happen in the end. Um, I mean, imagine, too, if you decide to kill the kid and you, you can feel yourself turning, but then, like, it, you, you never actually fully turn. And then you realize later you have this rare mutation <laughs> that meant you could never turn. But, uh, yeah. Oh, well, oh shit. Well, maybe it's like, oh, wait, being a zombie is awesome. I need to bite my kids so they can join me. This is actually pretty great. <laughs> um. I I think too. I mean, the the optimism. Even if I turn, it might be that like you know, it's not zombies who discover the kid. And I imagine if you had killed your kid, yeah. and someone else were to discover them. So yeah, I think I'd. Uh, I don't know what what would you do like maybe barricade the room as much as you can but may, maybe also in the house be like you know write a note kid in bathroom because yeah. I assume that like zombies aren't that good at reading and comprehending but if a non-zombie turns up oh kid in bathroom okay well let's <laughs> but instead let's... it says uh kid please bathroom open <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, that's a walking dead joke um it reminds me now thinking about it um the end of the mist the film adaptation mm. have you guys both seen the movie 
I have. Yeah. I have not. Oh my god. Okay. I don't know how to talk about this movie now. Moving <laughs> on. Spoil the ending. Okay. So, if you if you're worried about spoiling it for me, don't worry about it. Go for it. All right. So the mist it um it ends with um the husband the father um he's driving away with uh his kid and a bunch of other people who have survived this uh, apocalyptic uh, hell thing that's happening they're driving into the mist and they decide we'll just keep driving but then they uh, i think ran out of gas and they were surrounded by the mist and all the creatures around them and they have a a gun with enough bullets to kill everybody but one so they decide okay the 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 man he he shoots everybody including his son and now it's just him so he runs out after killing his fucking son and then sees, oh, the mist is going away and the government has come to save them all. So that just brought to mind that ending. And now it's really hilarious to me imagining like what the next scene was like. Like yeah. <laughs> him trying to explain <laughs> this mass homicide he committed. Yeah. Wow, yeah. yeah. He probably went to prison. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, spoilers on the mist. <laughs> it was good to call out spoilers after you talk about them. Yeah. <laughs> so every breath is a choice. I, I, all I'm going to say is like, there is, there is one word in that story and it is the best word in the entire book. If you ask me, I did not see the ending of this story coming and the twist happens in the very last word. And mm-hmm. I got through this whole story and I got to that last word and I was like, yes, it was like <laughs> the most satisfying, like, like I did not see it coming. And even like, so it was building and building and like, um, uh, so like the premise for people who are listening, who didn't read this already um, is there's a guy who I'm on the right story, right? There's a guy yeah, who, um, yeah. This guy breaks into his family's house and like gives the guy a choice. Uh, The guy walks in on all this happening, gives the guy the choice. Like he has to choose whether the the guy kills the wife or the kid. Yeah. So like that's the premise of the story. And then um, without uh, spoiling too much, like, you know, this guy's life just kind of like crumbles apart after that. And it's just this pathetic kind of sad sack person. Um, and the way that you ended the story though, that turn that you take never saw it coming. And it was just so perfect and powerful. I was really impressed by, um, the, like how you really led me in the path of like, this guy is just like trudging through this sad existence. I never saw that ending coming. And it was probably for me the most, even though Indiana death songs fucked me up crazy. Like this story was probably had the most powerful moment for me in the whole book. Oh, thank you. Um, that I forget when I wrote it exactly, but it had a difficult time getting accepted any place. In fact, the, the, the anthology that didn't publish it, it was accepted by someone who had rejected it like five years previously, <laughs> but then they accepted it this time. I don't know why, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I don't, 
have a lot of memories of where that idea even came from, but I do recall struggling a bit with what to do with it because I had the initial premise of someone has to make a decision of who dies, a wife or child, but I didn't know what to do beyond that. So I I remember once the the second half, the ending coming to mind, that's when everything clicked. I got pretty excited about writing it, but I, I do think I spent a long time trying to figure out what happens after the initial thing that happens happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe one reason as well that you found this one kind of more personally effective than Indiana death song is just like it's a premise that one can anyone can easily relate to whereas I I guess with Mm -hmm. Indiana death song it whilst you know you can empathize to some level unless you've had that kind of childhood then that there's like that other layer that makes it harder to to fully put yourself in that position but yeah, I mean, this premise specifically, I imagine, is something everyone has put themselves through. Like, it's a mind game almost. Yeah. Like, okay, of my family, who would I save? That's basically what this is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With that, but that second, like, mm-hmm. it, it's interesting that you say that it took you a while to come to that, like, uh, that conclusion, to come to that conclusion uh, yeah. and figure out what the ending of that story was going to be because... Um, uh, masterful but like i can imagine you were just like struggling with that story and then one day you were just like this is it so yeah uh, i mean we have a super fucked up thing that happens but you can't that's just that can't be all that happens in this serial it's going to be incomplete feeling right yeah exactly like they were like what's the point you just you're just giving a hypothetical but like the what you did yeah. with the end of it makes it more of a story makes it more yeah i agree thank you yeah, in in terms of like, you know, coming up with endings, is that like a lot of writers kind of tend to struggle with that? Is that something that is particularly difficult for you? Because you you generally fucking nail it. It does it like on on the page. It doesn't seem <laughs> to be a difficult thing, but I know like how much we can kind of labor on to like sticking that ending and getting it right yeah well thank you i appreciate that um i think about endings a lot with a shield story i don't begin writing anything until i know the ending typically the ending comes first except in the example of every breath is a choice i had the beginning before i had an, an ending Mm. But if I don't know the ending, especially in the Shield story, it's just going to come across as this aimless thing, I think. But it's good to have, like, I mean, I look at it like writing a joke. You need mm. to have the punchline. Even if the punch, in this case, the punchline is usually something horrific, it's still a punchline. Mm. And you can't write the build up to that unless you know what it is. And then you can come up with the beginning and then everything else leading to that with books i sometimes have an idea in mind i usually have a vague sense of how i want it to to end i don't always have like a concrete idea 
with Indiana Death Song, no fucking idea how that was going to end, which is probably why it took me so long to write. If I mm. imagine if I had come up with an ending before I wrote it, I would have finished it quite quickly, but that wasn't the case. But yeah, I think endings, I mean, the ending is the last thing you read. So if it's a bad ending, you will not going to have good uh, memories of that story. Even a shitty story with a good ending is going to leave an okay impression on you. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I just wanted to go back to something you, know, you, you said earlier about when you're doing live readings, you know, it's important to find a comedic piece. And that's something that, you know, I completely agree with. But if if you're doing something like promoting, you know, Indiana Death Song or we need to do something, so pr- pretty bleak stories, what what's your approach there? Would would you just read like a complete story on, on that kind of tour that's nothing to do with the book, or would you yeah. take Yeah. Yeah, I, I've thought about this a lot and I don't know what the right solution is because it's it's I agree. It's almost like false advertising, maybe like this is not the type of book you are going to be buying. Um, yeah. I've read one section of Indiana Death Song out loud to an audience and I think the audience liked it. I didn't enjoy the experience. Um, it was a. So last year at a convention in Austin called Killolcon, I read a section from it at that. Now, um, we haven't talked about this novella yet, but it was mostly about my own experience as a teenager with my uh, mom and dad. And the week of Killolcon, my mom died. And then I went to Killolcon and I read a section from it. And I think I was a fucking maniac as I was reading it. (laughs) I was definitely on the verge of just falling to pieces. And um, I guess being overly emotional is uh, a possibility when you're reading something super serious. And that could have its good sides, I think. But I don't tend to uh, write a lot of stuff that quite taps that way. Maybe I do. I don't know. I don't think I have enough pieces that you can read without context that have that type of emotional uh, vein to poke. But with comedy, I don't know. You, you require less context, I think, when you're reading like a flash fiction comedic piece mm. than you would something super bleak maybe it's also possible i'm just talking right now without thinking but i I think i'm making sense (laughs) um i'll give you an example of what i plan on reading um next week so i'm doing a few book related uh reading events next week and i to promote this collection and i plan on writing a new flash flash fiction piece I haven't written it yet, but I have it in my head what I'm going to write. And it has nothing to do with this collection. But I think it's going to be pretty funny. I'll, I'll tell you yeah, the story idea and what happens in it. Because it's never going to be published in any place. It's just going to be something I read out loud. So a while ago, I got obsessed with this tweet this woman posted. Um, I'm trying to remember all the exact phrasing. But it's basically like this woman tweeted how hubby loves 
loves it when she puts three soft boiled eggs up a uh, vagina and then um the husband then like licks up the egg juices i think something like that it's really fucking gross but <laughs> i don't know <laughs> it's, it's amazing the way the the vivid images that come to mind when i read this tweet so the idea i have is i'm going to write a short story about this a flash fiction about this man who also reads the tweet he it's going to begin <laughs> with them just joke just laughing it out like aha that's a gross tweet but then he's going to not be able to stop thinking about it and he's going to begin joking with his wife like <laughs> that would be crazy if you did that right but then it's going to not be just a joke it's going to be him like come on we could try and it happens. They do it and he loves it. It's the best fucking thing in the universe. I mean, he's so obsessed with these egg juices that the <laughs> ending is going to be him crawling into his wife's uh, womb and living inside of it. <laughs> so that's what I'm going to, that's, that's, that's what I'm going to read to promote uh, abnormal statistics. I don't <laughs> know ending. if that's the right move. <laughs> <laughs> it's the right move. But that's what I'm thinking. Okay. I think I'll call right, it three the, eggs. I, I I know you've been calling it I can hold three, but yeah. <laughs> I knew as soon as you said this tweet I read, I knew exactly <laughs> where you were going. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know how that translates to people buying this collection. Like I mean, someone might enjoy the reading and they buy this and get home and go, what the fuck is this? Well, I might be losing an audience by scaling away people with reading something like that because the collection isn't like that. But I don't know what else to do because I, I think like task number one when doing a live reading is to entertain. Yeah. I don't want to read anything that puts someone to sleep. So to me, the I need to come up with something fucking strange and hopefully funny and unforgettable and uh, three eggs i believe is going to be that type of story yeah yeah i i feel yeah. i feel like if you do that it's like look if, if you've enjoyed this reading and you're buying the book based on that maybe start by reading fish you know, because if you, if you <laughs> bought it specifically because of free eggs and then you start with Indiana Death Song, it's like completely different mood. So I, I, I reckon... Not a single egg in that book. No, no. eggs in Indiana Death Song at all. Yeah. That's, that's true. Pretty odd. But, but I mean, the, the only other way yeah. you could do it is if you've got the live reading and if, if you can somehow do two extracts i don't know if like is is this gonna be like an interview with readings and like you know you can stand up do one reading about 10 minutes later you do another i mean the extract that probably would be most comedic is um the elevator scene <laughs> you know and it, again kind of yeah when I, when I did yeah. um when I did the Kittlecon, I read two sections. I read that scene to make people yeah. laugh. And then I read a section when, uh, oh, I guess I can't talk about it, but I read a, a much saddle section later on in the novella. And I think that was a pretty good like one-two punch. You get them laughing, and then they'll pay attention. And then you can go in for the sad shit. So I do think there is a place for sad stuff to read. 
but you do need to hook them before you can like get them feeling anything. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I think you know, with a live reading, you want to entertain the people. It's a different experience than just like you know sitting down and reading the book yourself. And yeah, you know, I've I've had times where I've gone to readings and very accomplished writers have just like read um like a section of supernatural horror where it's very dense it's very literary <laughs> but it's just... supernatural fanfic <laughs> no no <laughs> but it you know just just reading this very kind of prose heavy description uh, it, it it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't really feel like it translates well for a live reading that's not where i'm gonna get the most out of that but if you've got something comedic or you've got something dialogue heavy then you're gonna get my attention yeah even the times i've read like sections from a book that was published i always take that section into a real document and revise it so it makes more sense to read out loud yeah. like yeah. I have, I have a speech impediment, so usually when I do that, I try to remove anything that I know I'm not going to say correctly. Well, if I have too much exposition, I cut that and just like just mm-hmm. like the, the fucking the bill bones of what I need to get across is what I read out loud. That's exactly what me and Bob did for the uh, launch of their watching. I took a section between the protagonist and the PI character. And I just basically formatted it like a script. And it's like, right, that's what we're reading. <laughs> Rob. Uh, and, and this is a David James Keaton story. So take that with however much salt you need to take that with. But um, one thing I've noticed about him with live readings, because I've attended several uh, of his, is that um, sometimes he'll just do some sort of, this is something that happened to me recently, you know, as, as like a thing he's talking about before he goes into a story. So like, I think if you're going just grim, if you had some sort of entertaining anecdote that was real life before going into just grim, like that could be a way to soften up the crowd without like, you know, um, necessarily having another piece because like he really got, he, there was one time in Chicago where he got basically the whole audience, like just, really railing against the um, Chicago uh, uh, parking authority people because he had this really compelling story about like getting his car towed. And then he went into the thing he was, he has his actual story. So like, I think that too could be a way to hook people in and get them on your side before. But I, here's the thing Uh, caveat. I don't, I'm not an author. I never have to stand up and read one of my things. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I take that, Take that how you will, but I, I thought Keaton yeah. was good at that as far as like being entertaining and get the audience on your side. Yeah, that sounds like a good method. I've never met Keaton. I've never seen him read, but just his own like his style of prose feels really conversational. So I bet oh, yeah. you, yeah, he's a he, he probably does great public readings. Something I've been debating trying to do one day soon at at, at some event is doing uh, an, an improv reading. Basically, just having someone tell me like a few things about what Australia could be about, and just fucking tell Australia for ten minutes. I'm pretty sure I could do it, but it just depends when, because I think that would be interesting. Yeah, yeah, I love that idea, and anything that's gonna make for a unique experience as well. It, you know, that's a reason to go 
to that reading. And yeah, what you're describing, it almost has a kind of whose line is it anyway kind of old TV comedy style to it. Yeah, I'd be I'd be totally up for like an event like that where you've got three or four readers and they're each given a different prompt. I mean, maybe you take like, you know, the, the prompt out of a hat. Oh, what have I got? Three <laughs> eggs. But, you know, it could, it could be any anything. Really. Why are they so um, wet? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that called a? I think that's called like an exquisite culps, right? When you continue someone else's stream. Yes. Mm, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. A- any piece of art that like one person starts it and then like someone picks up where they left off. Yeah. Yeah. It would be fun to do that, but also have someone else assigned just for editing. Like if. Mm. So they can just yell, stop, and run out and go, <laughs> okay, this is real game. This is not real game. Let's do this again. I guess that's <laughs> like a movie director almost, but still, that could be a fun yeah. bit to do on stage. Maybe I'll do that. I do a monthly show in Austin called The Ghoulish Show. I have uh, people come out and do performances on stage, usually comedic to a crowd. So now I'm thinking that would be a good uh, event, a good time to do that one of these days at that show is to do a, a live uh, exquisite culps. So thanks for the idea, folks. Yeah, yeah. God, nice. if we wanted to practice it, we could probably get like a number of writers together and just do do one of these on a podcast to see like how does it logistically work. And then depending how well it does or does not work would depend on whether we ever air it. <laughs> <laughs> It's fair. Okay, like I said before, that's the first part of our conversation with Max Booth the third. I'm absolutely looking forward to getting into uh, more detail with the rest of the stories in this this book, including Indiana Death Song, um, which is just going to be an insane conversation to have. I want to take some time to point out that Michael David Wilson is an amazing podcaster, and if you have not been listening to him, you absolutely must do so. Uh, he, like I said, he's been doing this for a decade and, uh, where I love to have nice, inspiring off the cuff, deep conversations. Uh, Michael is a little bit different in the fact that he tries really hard to create a very thoughtful, um, polished experience for the listeners and obviously to pull, as much as he can out of the people that he's interviewing. So um, check out his episodes, uh, you know, find some authors that you like and listen to those episodes. I know that he recommends his uh, Chuck Palahniuk episode. I know recently interviewed Dean Koontz. If you've listened to booked in the past, a lot of the people that we've interviewed uh, have also been spoken to over on this is horror, like Paul Tremblay and Josh Mallerman and uh, you know, the people like that. I absolutely recommend checking out This Is Horror. Michael does a great job. It's obvious that he's he cares a lot about the uh, the product that he puts out and that and the conversations that he creates and the experience that he creates. So um, please give him all the support that you can. And then I will remind you too: uh, Abnormal Statistics is out now. It is available. So um, if if it sounds like the kind of thing you're into, it's a little bit gr- more grim. It's a little bit, you know, more challenging uh, and, and dark, but it is excellently written. And Max is a brilliant author. So give him all the support in the world. 
you can buy that book. He's got other books available. Uh, you can listen to his podcast. Uh, you can buy other books from his his publishing company that he runs. There's a lot of ways to support Max, and I absolutely encourage you to do to do so because he is doing excellent work. Finally, like I said before, we have some outtakes that I'm dropping after this uh, outro. So if you want to hear some kind of zany stuff, uh, feel free to stick around and listen to that. Like I said, it's a little more than 15 minutes of stuff. And do come back for future episodes. We have the second part of the conversation with Max Booth about abnormal statistics. And just looking at my wall, um, uh, in the future, I've got Frank Bill, uh, who has a book called uh, Back to the Dirt that's coming out. I'm going to be having a conversation with him. Danielle Trussoni has a book called The Puzzle Master. We'll be talking to her about that. Um, other guests on the horizon, Jessica Leonard, who has a book called Conjuring the Witch that's coming out. Craig Clevenger. Uh, oh my God. I love Craig. Um, he's got his, his new novel, Mother Howell will be coming out in June. So we're going to be talking to him. Eric LaRocca with everything the darkness eats is coming out. Uh, we're going to talk to him, Rachel Harrison, who wrote this little gem, uh, such sharp teeth. Uh, hopefully I'll have her on. Um, there's a whole bunch. I've got a lot of stuff that's being scheduled now. I've got stuff scheduled all the way out to September. So Follow my socials. You'll see what's coming up. You'll see the episodes when they drop. Um, subscribe to my YouTube. Subscribe to my podcast. And um, keep coming back because I am just going to keep running myself ragged, trying to have as much cool guests on as possible and uh, and um, sharing our thoughts about their upcoming books. So thank you for listening. Come back again later for Max's uh, second part. And then again, uh, keep coming back for all the amazing stuff I have on the horizon. And um, that's all I got. So I'm just going to end this in the middle of my sentence because people can read between the lines. I'm neither confirming nor denying the reason. So you, you can come up with your own conclusions. But I mean, I, I would honestly, it, you live, you live in Japan, so you yeah. were recording this even closer to the release date than me. <laughs> I know, I know, absolutely <laughs> disgraceful. I mean, I, I was gonna say, you know, but doesn't it make sense to be talking to someone when you can actually buy the book? But I'm not gonna say that because then, you know, that would be. Hanging out, my friend Rob Olson. It's like so you've just dissed the entire concept <laughs> of his podcast in the first few minutes. So that's why I haven't said that. Well, the our Venn diagram just doesn't really overlap much. Like I handle pre-release, and you handle at or after release, and then you know there's just that little maybe a little overlap, but and I um, handle release. I yeah. mainly <laughs> specify in releasing. That's my thing. Is I release. I'm not a fan of the pre-release or the post-release, but the act of releasing, I'm pretty much a fan of. I think yeah. if I had, you know, I mean, obviously release is the best, but if I had to, you know, also do a lot of pre-releasing <laughs> or post-releasing, I mean, post-release is probably better, like particularly if there's a lot of pre-release. So the thing with post-release is I'm usually left kind of disappointed and ashamed and pre-release can be fun like especially like if you're right on the edge of pre-release then you stop but then after so long you just kind of like lose feeling and like the act of releasing and then it's like ah what's the point of even continuing but right in those seconds of release that's 
that's the best. Yeah. I can see well, from your face. So we know people, how you're going to feel. Yeah. Yeah. People watching I'm talking the video about will I'm... see. That... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you guys. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking yeah. about Kevin. Time to change Bro. this podcast to the cum penalty, right? Right, guys? <laughs> <laughs> this is why you invited me or, on the show. Or this is cum, I guess? <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. And you regret your sure. decision to invite me on as the, <laughs> the co-host for this particular episode of Arc Party. I'll, I'll be honest, if we'd have been speaking... To Joe Lansdale, this isn't this isn't how the episode would have started. Yeah, that's I'm true. gonna get Joe Lansdale on my podcast. I'm gonna ask him. He's gonna say yeah because he he just I know him, and I'm gonna get him to talk about cum. I spilled a fucking god. <laughs> I am that's my new mission is to get Joe Lansdale to do a podcast where we mostly talk about ejaculate. I think I can make it happen. I mean, if anyone can, it's that's you. my that's my edge. Uh, I will do it if we uh, if we sell um, I don't know a thousand uh, copies of this book. Yeah, I'll get Trill and Sale to talk about come. Is there a timeline that these copies have to be sold, or is it just at any point? Yeah, by uh, by June ninth, obviously. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Six six nine. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, I guess I guess Neville countries. It would be nine six, but. I'm I'm in the United States, so six nine. Yeah. So you're giving people you, till you, September sixth, then? I mean, in they the have UK. until September eleventh. <laughs> oh god! The deadline is at nine eleven. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> um, Michael, Wrong. I'm letting you steer this thing. So yeah. Well, I think now we should did, did, jump. Oh, I thought you were letting me stay. Did you want to? <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm dealing this shit. Like the... <laughs> yeah. Now, tell me what you'd like to do next, because I think that I'm just going to agree with it. But what would you like to do next? <laughs> what the fuck is this? <laughs> tell you what. That's what I was. I going got this, to guys. Do. I got Thanks. this. You got it. Um, <laughs> next up. <laughs> Uh, what would you like to talk about, Michael? See, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was right. Uh, how have you guys been? What's life like? Doing any fun projects lately, guys? <laughs> I'm the host now, I guess. Oh, all right. <laughs> so I will. I will. I'm going to cut in and say, and this can be cut out because this is kind of like maybe a little inside. But when I pitched the idea of doing this michael was like hey i don't know how this is going to work because i'm like a i lead my thing and you lead your thing and you know i don't know how this is going to go um and i think this is exactly what michael was worried about was this specific (laughs) moment so it almost Uh, makes me happy that it happened because if it hit if it hadn't then it'd be like oh you know but like so it did so that's good you know what they say, you get three <laughs> podcast hosts in one room, and it's a lot of, oh, you, you go ahead. And that's what's happening with all of us right yeah. now. Yep. That's the age-old saying. That's the <laughs> time immemorial. 
I mean, I, I was going <laughs> to lead, I was going to lead on to the next topic, but the fact that you stopped to ask me what I want to talk about would imply to me that there's something that you want to talk about, Rob. So what do you want to talk about? Oh, I mean, I I think that the thing I came most prepared to do was like kind of throw in my insights about individual stories, but I didn't know how much we were going to dive into individual stories versus like doing other stuff. So if that's something that we're reserving for later on in the discussion, I'm just, all the chambers are loaded, man. I'm just letting you know. He's ready to release. It's release time. (laughs) Yeah. I can see that pre-release leaking from a man. Let's do it. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. You guys know I'm talking about cum, right? (laughs) The talkers got very excited about the pre-release. Um, oh, well, I mean, sometimes in podcasting, your guest just walks off. That just walks, happened. yeah, unceremoniously. Yeah, yeah, that's live podcasting for you. Sometimes the guest has enough. Sorry about but, that. Um, <laughs> it's okay. I think did, maybe someone did, rang the jill bell or something. That's a, a more sensible... <laughs> suggestion as to what happened and where i was going i was gonna tie in what we've been talking about and yeah we yeah. Uh, he can't come he's been snipped is that one of the words you can't say around your dog you have to like spell it out so they don't know that's the word you're saying come but if you, i'm constantly but if you, saying c-u-m yeah yeah it's your whole dilemma how to spell come I mean, I think we've had podcast episodes about this, haven't we? Yeah, me, me <laughs> and you, we genuinely like it. the C-U-M-C-O-M-E discussion. It, I mean, that... Yeah, is... so for those listening, what I think we decided on, C-U-M is come as a noun. C-O-M-E is come as a verb. And uh, C-O-M-E-A-S... Y O U A L E is a Nirvana song. <laughs> For fuck's sake! Yeah. An important <laughs> distinction, yeah. Yes, yes. It I is. am on file today. That was not planned. Fucking spontaneous. Next question. Let's go. I got it. Next question is for Rob. Do you have like a remote control webcam? <laughs> what just happened? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, so this is a combination. It's it's a confluence of two situations. So first of all, sometimes my office chair just goes like it lowers on its own. Yeah, I almost said goes down, but I knew how that was going to go. Uh, so yes, I do have a remote controlled webcam, and um, nice. so like I can kind of modify where it's looking. So I just wanted to make sure I was still framed up pretty nicely, even though my chair betrayed me. Yeah. Now, assuming that this goes into the final episode, and that might be a fairly big <laughs> assumption that this isn't edited out, <laughs> then it might be a kind of good time to make people aware that we have video versions of the podcast as well, because we're, yeah. we're making quite a lot of references to what is visually going on. So I I imagine, too, that the kind of broadcast is going to be slightly different depending on whether you're viewing the This Is Horror YouTube or the Arc Party YouTube. Because 
I mean, with us, we go for like whoever's speaking, the camera is on them. But if I don't know what your plan is, but if you're going to actually edit it together as you usually do, then you're going to see all cameras for your view, which actually, I mean, I wouldn't normally direct <laughs> my listeners or viewers away from, you know, my channel. <laughs> but I think that might be better, particularly because there's been times, particularly at the start and indeed now as I'm talking, where Max is just doing some weird fucking shit. Uh, are you going to yeah. miss out on that if you oh, yeah. to the Cesaro yeah, one? Yeah, like... Yeah, when we were when we were talking, he was just like pretending to read the book, or maybe he was actually reading the book. Yeah, so the video video editions are going to be yeah a little bit a little bit extra for you for sure. Yeah, Hi. yeah. And oh, hey, Max. Hello, Max. Hi. <laughs> I didn't even acknowledge that you you disappeared for <laughs> audio audio viewers. Um, I I, I saw you leave the, the room and uh, yeah, you you had oh he's off again. <laughs> This is, this is quite the video presentation. Um, well, in terms of the, <laughs> in terms of the next segment, okay, guys, welcome back. Um, feel free to leave that in. I'm okay with it. <laughs> I uh, I vomited the coffee out of my nose all over myself. Seriously, that's what just happened. Why didn't you do that on camera? Hang on, oh, what, now what, I can't hear him. Your, your microphone is fucked. Can you hear him? <laughs> okay. I, uh, it went all over the ground, all over my clothes. It was disgusting. All because I said next question, and you said next question is for Rob, <laughs> and I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. And I just fucking shot it out of every little fist on my face. Oh my god, that was gross. <laughs> <laughs> See what you well, those only Robert. listening to the you, podcast. You hadn't used your webcam. Is this a man? Maybe. Well, those only pro- listening. Yeah. Uh, just some um, some context for the listeners only. I've changed clothes mid-podcast. Ridiculous. True. Yeah. Because from, Michael yeah. said the next question is for Rob. That was it. For the record, we're all three of us professional, like experienced <laughs> podcasters. Like we all know what we're doing, and we have a lot of experience. So, yeah, I'm taking my socks off now because they have gotten soggy with coffee vomit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that was one of the stories. Yeah, <sighs> wasn't expecting any. I mean, I didn't plan that to happen. I'm not going to apologize because I believe it will make podcast gold. But um, that's what happened. It is uh, truly astounding <laughs> and perhaps marginally worrying that if you kind of total the podcast experience that the three of us have together, it must be very close to three decades. And this is uh, this is what cumulative three decades of podcasting will get you. <laughs> Coffee on Shit, maybe. Crop. I think I began... I began podcasting, I think, in 2017. What about you guys? So, This Is Horror started in February 2013. April 2011. Yeah. 
So I've got 12, 12, almost 13 years. Wow. Has anyone ever vomited a coffee on the podcast? No. My building was on fire one time. Not the same. Yeah. It might not be the same, and it wasn't the direction that I planned on taking this, but you got to tell us the story there. That, well, I have this kind of thing. I was thinking about this because, like, um, there has been some uh, drama in the apartment below me, and I was like, if there's gunfire or something, I don't know if I'm going to, I'm going to try and just like continue recording. Um, but I was in, I was living in Vermont at the time and um, I was living in this like five story building. And um, uh, it was right before uh, someone that we were interviewing was about to join the call. No, they had just joined the call, but we hadn't started the actual interview yet. And all of a sudden there's just this like alarm sound. Uh, and um. I knew it was in my building and Livius is like, what's that noise? And I was like kind of more annoyed than anything. Cause everything was set and we were ready to go and we're just doing this thing. And it was like the, the fire alarms going off. So I had to like get up and go downstairs and find out what was going on. Someone's kitchen was on fire or something like that, but it was nothing where I had to evacuate. So I was like, let's just do this. Cause like the fire alarm had stopped going so that it wasn't going to affect the audio. So like someone's kitchen was on fire, but I just pushed through it. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> Nothing I'm stops me from awesome. podcasting, man. Yeah. <laughs> it, it occurs to me now that what happened with me could be described as a release. And now we only have <laughs> post release. And now I don't feel great. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a little ashamed, to be honest. I, yeah. I mean, we, we've, we've all had yeah. post release shame at some point in our life. So I, I think yeah. this is going to be a bit that a lot of our listeners can connect with. So that's good. You know, I hope some of the release got um, refilled it on the video. I don't know how much of it was on my cam, but it came right out of my mouth and my nose. It was painful. Well, I will... you've had painful releases, right? Occasionally. <laughs> this is a, a hill podcast, right? Yeah. You know, to think that about 15 minutes ago we were going to jump into another story and it all got derailed with one simple question. It's my fault. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> yeah. We've talked about fish and the zombie story, right? Yeah. So, uh, isn't, uh, what else isn't that all you want to promote? I mean, yes. <laughs> All right. You know, I'll, I'll, what, can I take the reins on this? Because, like, I have a then. story that I need to talk about. So, oh, God. Um, <laughs> what do you need to talk about? No, oh, it's okay. One of the in, the in the book, book so I thought you were just going to tell us some yeah, yeah. event from your life. <laughs> so, yeah, by the way, this one time. No, uh, uh, oh, now I got to find it. Is it every breath is a choice? Is that the one? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hang on. I want to make sure that's the right one. Uh, yeah. 